0: Greetings, citizens. Welcome to The Past for Plebs. My name is Sean. I am your host today, and I want to kick things off by bringing us our attention to uh, how really just amazing history is. Uh, it's wild. It's nuts. It's crazy. Uh, it's all around us. No matter where you look, you're looking at it. You don't even know that you're looking at history, but it is there. Um, so it's going to get a little boring today. We're really going to hash some things out that uh, I think you know need to be hashed out before we dive into the really fun stuff on down the road. Coming down the pike, it's going to be good. We're going to have interviews, uh, special guests. We're going to have uh, special uh, fun events. But for now, uh, today we're going to talk about the boring study of history. That's right, the study of history. So history is everywhere. It is in the media, in the news, in movies, and Books, it's all around us in ways that we really cannot even imagine. So that being said, the way we react to history or use history to our advantage depends on our level of thinking and what our objectives are when we look at history. For example, a politician or someone who has a political motive, they're going to look at history through a certain lens. Literally, they are trying to prove why their political opinion of today is correct by looking at similarities in the past. Well, I have really bad news for you. Professional historians do not do this. And if they do, they're really, really bad at what they do. I mean, history is meant to be observed, discovered, and not rewritten. At least that's what we try and do. Bias is everywhere. I'm not denying that. But we have to try and sift through the baloney. And it's not, you know, it's not always as easy as you think. Uh, but our goal here in this podcast is to identify the baloney, shun it, and then provide the best, most uh, accurate answers that we can. Um, so, a, a huge example of historical bias is how the contemporary world looks and thinks about Christopher Columbus. I love this example because almost everyone can relate to this in some way. So, I'm guessing if you haven't lived under a rock for the last ten years or so, I'm, guess, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing even when I just say the name Christopher Columbus, there's some crazy receptors in your brain going off and you're thinking either wow Columbus was a really horrible person or man I am sick of listening to people praise and talk about how great Columbus was basically something along those lines is probably showing up in your brain right now well I hate to break it to you but that is a prime example of historical bias your thoughts betray you and honestly we're we're our worst enemies when it comes to understanding the past so allow me to try and break this example down simply The past is a different time and place. We cannot measure characteristics in the past based on our own expectations and understandings of today. And honestly, the farther back you go, the more difficult it is to judge character. I mean, character is is so relative and based on cultural surroundings. We know this is true geographically, for example, right now, right? So if you were to travel to a country across the world and act like a typical American or, or, you know, wherever you're from chances are you're almost guaranteed to upset or disrespect someone in some kind of a way. So now imagine doing that, not only just going to a different country, but going to a different country that is 500 years in the past. I mean, the language is different, right? So, I mean, that's a whole other conversation in itself, but they don't even speak the same language. Not to mention, I mean, the expectations, the laws, the food, dress, the stories they tell, everything is different. Besides the fact that we eat food and breathe air, I mean, pretty much everything is different. I mean, if you cannot observe the past without getting really, really, really upset or really, really, really happy or, you know, positive or negative, then you're really not cut out to be a professional historian. Um, That being said, though, there is a lot of good news. I mean, we are all human. No one can erase our bias, and we all understand that we have bias. I mean, even myself, I have have plenty of bias, you know. It really comes down to can you learn – to restrict that bias. Can you hold it back when it comes to analyzing history? And it's a tough thing to do, I'm not gonna lie. Alright, so our next topic for today is really going into the historical consciousness. Um, Now I've sort of devised five levels to this historical consciousness thing that I've come up with. Now, this isn't my own idea. Uh, if you take a research course in history, or, or you know, in the collegiate level, you'll find that there are levels in that sort of textbook-style thing. Um, academia definitely has come up with these. Now, I've sort of added an extra level or two. Uh, some people smush these levels together, but nonetheless, there are around four or five levels to historical consciousness. Um, So I guess the best way to do it is just go chronologically from from the ground up. So the first level of historical understanding is history as fact. So this is the earliest stage and the most basic stage of historical consciousness. It's basically the idea that history is absolute fact and can be proved. So it's 100% true. So this is partly true, right? So for example, it's commonly well known that the Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson in the 18th century. No one disputes that. That's fact. There's obviously more to the story though, right? So it's not just facts, but that's exactly it. So this first level just stops there. I call this the trivia level or the Google level. If you can Google it and get, a, get a, just like a two word answer or a basic factual answer, that is in this level. Um, so people in level two, this is the chron- chronologic level, right, the historical chronology. I like to think of this level as sort of like the high school level. Um, this is where you usually end up when you graduate high school. You, you've sort of maybe scraped level three, which we'll get into. So once you've established that facts are self-evident, the next step is to string them together. This makes up the second level. So understanding that the Declaration of Independence came before the Constitution is a part of this level. Um, then again, people of this level usually have trouble with the why or the how, right? And that's the narrative that they're that they're lacking. Um, and that, of course, goes into level three. Level three is narrative. So level three is sort of the, the how or the why things became the way they were. Uh, this, this level does assume that there's a, that there's a sort of direction in history, right? I mean, time is linear, so it's kind of true. But there are so many intertwinings, so it, it can really get kind of dangerous. Uh, but that's basically level three is narrative, being able to tell a story using the facts. Level four, this is the most depressing level of history, Uh, and I I admit, I was in there for probably a year or so, Uh, but this is like the the nihilistic level, right? The level that says, man, you know, there's so much out there in the past that there is no possible way that I'll be able to find out, or, or anyone will ever be able to find out the absolute truth. And the really scary part is this is partly true. Actually, this is true. Uh, you, you cannot, uh, there's no way you would know exactly what happened because we don't even have like video camera evidence of, you know, 50 years ago. Never mind, um, never mind 2,000 years ago. So we really are blind to the past no matter how many sources we have. <sighs> We're looking at a really, really, really tiny microscopic organism that we cannot really, very well define. But that's where level five shows up, right? So, this is, I like to call this level perseverance. This is the level that says, hey, you know what? It's true. We can't understand everything, but it doesn't mean we can't try. It doesn't mean that we can't piece together as much as we can and continue to move forward. And that is the level that we all need to try and get to and understand. So, it's very difficult. And again, you know, you can't really blame people for being at certain levels. We're all at different levels of understanding. And it's also the way our brain works, right? So, a lot of people, I mean, mathematicians and scientists out there, they're, they're not really going to bother even with this kind of stuff. And you can't really blame them because they have more important things to worry about, you know. But as far as people who are historically minded and, and trying to make their way through history, uh, they're going to want to try and progress through this, these five levels. The next thing I wanted to talk about today uh, to start things off is source material. It is the bedrock of history. Uh, It is so important to have sources, 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 citations, citations, citations. Like if you read a professional history paper, there's going to be almost half a page of footnotes. And that is, (laughs) it's a nightmare, but I mean, that's the reality. You need to be able to prove what you're saying. There's two types of sources, and I'm sure most of you have probably heard of these. Uh, The most important type of source is a primary source. That is any source that is created during the time of study. So a primary source is created during the time of study. And a a big misconception about what a source is, is a lot of times people assume it has to be written, right? Like a diary entry or like a letter. That's not true. Uh, It could be anything. I mean, it it could even be an item. From history for example a really good example is weapons so swords or something that you can find that's definitely archaeology but but that that that's a way to date history and to cite history um, another example is art art is a really good visual example and it's not necessarily written okay and and that and that definitely proves uh, a lot of stuff in history so moving forward to the next type of source is a secondary source. A secondary source is anything that is created after the time of study about the time of study. So that really means that this podcast is a secondary source. Uh, For example, if you go to the library and you get a book that says, The Roman Empire, The Rise and Fall. You know, that's a pretty common title. I'm sure you could find something like that. Well, that's not a primary source. That is a secondary source where someone said, hey, this is the story of Rome and I'm going to write it down. That does not mean that person was alive during those times and it does not mean that person uh, was writing about it when it was happening. So that's very important. Now something else that is also important to understand is secondary sources are only useful if they have citations. Uh, At least that's true for modern day history. A lot of times if you read and now we're getting really into it, right? So a lot of times if you read historians throughout history, you'll see there are sort of different standards. Uh, and actually, like the father of history, Herodotus, right? I'll, I'll give this example. He doesn't cite anything at all. He literally just writes and writes and writes like as if he was there. Uh, he was probably there for some of it, and you know, and, and I'm talking I'm speaking specifically on his on his Persian Wars uh, writings but uh he talks i mean he he accounts like in clear detail conversations between the persian emperor or sorry the persian king and his you know nobles that no one no greek was there you know there's no way he knew that there's no way he had that word for word but he goes on to 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 show you the whole conversation as if he was there so that's a, that's a weird kind of thing because when you get into ancient sources <laughs> you really take what you can get you know what I mean? I mean, there is not a lot of ancient source material. So when you get something on anything, you're like, oh, this is gold. You know, what can we do with this? And that and that's really, you know, it almost makes ancient history more difficult. Uh, in fact, I think it does make ancient history more difficult. But that's an example of a secondary source written in the period, right? He's writing after the wars about the wars. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's interesting. But keep in mind, primary sources are essential. Secondary sources are made up of primary sources. All right, so thanks for tuning in. This is the part of the show where I want to highlight a a person in history, the person of the day. Uh, This is a big shout out to my main man, Alexander the Great of Macedon. I mean, this guy, if there was ever a guy in history for anyone to idealize or, or I you know, follow as a hero. This is the guy. Um, he was king at the age of 18 after his father, the king, Philip II, was assassinated. Uh, so Alexander, I mean, he's he was not... He was you know he wasn't new to ruling he wasn't new to leadership he was a, he served as a cavalry officer under his father I mean he'd already fought in war at sixteen uh, leading men so this isn't anything new to him, but now he has an entire kingdom to rule and what does he do? He takes the Macedonian and Greek army and he marches east. He goes to fight the Persian Empire the famous the the famous enemy of the Greeks. And he rallies all the Greek states together under one federal power, which is Macedonia. Uh, and he and he marches against the Persians. Now he fights every single battle, even though he's the king, he is on the front lines. That is unheard of. I, I mean, well, it's not unheard of, but it's pretty epic. I mean, he was injured in in many of his battles, uh, and in fact, his men only loved him more for it. Uh, you know, the more scars he could point to, the more his men would trust them and. And and, and honestly, when he would give them hard tasks, they would be that much less likely to hesitate because they knew Alexander would be there with them on the front lines. Um, Alexander did something really, really revolutionary. Uh, He sort of took the old-fashioned Greek way of fighting, which is with spears, which is a, a tightly knit formation called a phalanx. A wall of spears, a wall of shields, everyone fights close together which is really almost impossible to break unless you get behind it or unless you have terrain to really break up the break up the formations and we're going to get into that later down the road. But nonetheless he takes that sort of center uh, strong Greek presence and he combines it with the Macedonian cavalry. He combines it with his flanking on the side, right? So coming around the sides of the enemy and surrounding them. So he's able to master uh, warfare and he really introduced and perfects the flank. I mean, you could see generals throughout history look to Alexander the Great's tactics in some kind of a way to perform well in their own wars. I mean, Hannibal is, is supposedly, you know, thought to look back. I know Julius Caesar idealized Alexander, um, and then of course even so far so far up as Napoleon. I mean, these are these are just giants in military history that are looking back. Alexander the Great. Long story short, Alexander pretty much conquers an empire like the world has never seen before. He topples the entire Persian Empire. He conquers Egypt, Persia, Mesopotamia. He even goes up as far north as um, Transoxiana, which is modern-day Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. So that is really, really far away from Greece. Uh, And then, of course, he reaches India. He even conquers some Indian territory. Uh, He ends up stopping there, going back to Babylon, and he dies of unknown causes in 323 B.C. Uh, It is rumored to be the 11th of June or maybe the 10th. We're really not sure. It's so long ago, and the sources are really sketchy. Uh, And actually, because we talked today about sources, I do want to stress that there are no primary sources existing from Alexander the Great, at least no written ones. We do have, you know, um, armor and archaeology from that period, but we do not have any primary written sources. Everything written about him, his stories, are secondary sources. They're written by Plutarch. They're written by other historians after him, hundreds of years after him. So we really have to try and piece together the story of Alexander, and oh, I have a blast doing it. So if you ever get a chance, you know, try and read up on Alexander. Uh, It's a big shout out for the day. But I'm actually really curious to hear your thoughts on Alexander the Great, Um, whether you think he was a tyrant, whether you think he was a great guy, a drunk, uh, all of the above in my opinion. But, I mean, he was just a phenomenal guy. But go ahead and debate me. I love it. Bring it on. Uh, Just a recap. uh, So today we talked about source material. We talked about historical consciousness. And we talked about historical bias. Um, so uh, how can you take these things and apply them to your everyday life, right? So, that, so we have to try and figure out what's the point of history. Well, especially when it comes to source material, you can apply this to your everyday life, especially on Facebook, especially on you know any type of social media. If you share an article, just make sure you, you read the article. Make sure you look for citations. Uh, if you don't see f- official formal citations – uh, and and I I I'm also guilty of this, you know. Uh, just ask questions. Is this real? Is this official? And can this be proven with citations? And then, if you want to dig real deep, follow the citation. All right. I I love to play this game. Go ahead and 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 find something on Wikipedia. And Wikipedia is pretty good about citations. But go ahead and go down to the bottom, the footnotes. Find a citation. Just sort of follow the rabbit hole. Find, see if it's a real citation or if it's just if it's just to fill up the page. Because uh, there's a you'd be surprised how much out there is actually fluff, baloney. But again, go ahead out there with your own mindset. Always ask questions. If you've learned anything from this from this little 20-minute lesson, ask questions about everything. Even things I say. If call me out on it, show me the source. I'll I'll correct it. Um, I'm completely open to that. Awesome sauce, guys. So thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm your host again. Uh, and stay tuned because there's more to come. It's going to get better. It's going to get even uh, more crazy, more intense, more on fire. I'm, turn- I'm turned up. I don't even know what's going to happen, but stay tuned. It's going to get nuts. Uh, Six Emperor Tyrannus, uh, Imperium Aeternum, and remember, your ancestors are always watching you, so don't let them down.